welcome to another episode of Sweet Valley Online, where evil triplets come together to snark Sweet Valley twins and explore the darkness that lurks just beneath the surface of Sweet Valley. We recap three Sweet Valley Twins books each month. You can find all our recaps and previous podcast episodes at sweetvalley.online. We are also on Facebook at facebook.com slash sweetvalleyonline and on Tumblr at sweetvalleyonline.tumblr.com. Our music is provided by Stuart Taylor of Legacy Breakfast. You can contact him at taylorstuart602 at gmail.com if you want to commission your own music. All of this information will be in the show notes. I'm Wing. I'm new to reading Sweet Valley, and I can't believe I'm about to say this, but I loved the book I recapped this month. I'm pretty sure I'm a pod person. I'm here with my not-so-evil triplets, Dove and Raven. I'm Dove, and I'm actually speechless that Wing enjoyed any part of this series, so I'm going to be quite quiet for this podcast. And I'm Raven, and like Wing, I enjoyed my book. I also enjoyed Dove's book and Wing's book. I enjoyed all three books this time, uh, which was pretty terrifying. That is terrifying. I am horrified. This month, we recapped Stretching the Truth, Tug of War, and The Older Boy. In Stretching the Truth, Mary Robinson, formerly Mary Giaccio, and soon to be Mary Wallace, is surprisingly not having an identity crisis with all those names, but is having trouble settling into life with her new stepdad. She was only just reunited with her mother a few months ago, remember, and now she feels like her stepdad is honing in on their time together. To make matters worse, he's a handyman, and she's pretty sure her friends will judge him and her and her mother. And, you know, considering that her BFFs are the fucking unicorns, that is a valid concern. Because of that, she lies about his job, and their new house, and their new boat, feels super guilty about it all, has a lot of really sad and touching scenes with her mother and stepfather, and eventually everything works out with a great birthday party on their ridiculously adorable new tugboat, and Mary agrees that her stepdad can adopt her. And even though everything was wrapped up in a neat little bowl like always, this book, which focuses mostly on Mary and her family, as you can tell, is utterly charming, and I loved almost everything about it, and I really am a pod person now. Thanks, Dove. (laughs) (laughs) No achievement in my life will ever match this. Like, if I ever go to a job interview and they say, what is your finest achievement? I'm going to (laughs) say, I got wing the most feminist, feisty, Sweet Valley-hating human being on the planet to enjoy a book. Like 15,000 words. She didn't want to kill anybody. I'm glad you're proud of yourself. Yes. I suppose I should talk about my book. In Tug of War, Jessica and Elizabeth both run for the position of student council president. In theory, it's meant to be a fair fight, but naturally one of the unicorns does something shady and immediately actually sets off a war between the twins with elizabeth actually doing dickhead stuff back to jessica which is kind of satisfying but i still want to punch her for it the main campaign idea is how to spend the book fair money will it be on a costume party that's jessica's idea shocker and elizabeth would like to buy a vcr for the library having read the next hundred or so books 
I can personally guarantee that they will never use the VCR. So I would go with the party. There's also a third candidate in Randy Mason, who's a big old nerd, and he doesn't know that he's a nerd, and he doesn't know that he's been put up at, for the position as a joke, because nerds don't really get it. They're just pleased to be there. And Elizabeth takes great pains to patronisingly think about how Randy is never going to be elected. So fast forward to the end of the campaign with Elizabeth and Jessica undermining each other every step of the way. And Elizabeth drops out because she realises that Randy has the best idea of all, which is to throw a party and use the proceeds of the party, which you'd have to buy tickets for, to buy a VCR. So Elizabeth magnanimously drops out because she knows that Randy can't win against her popularity. And Jessica does not drop out, but she clearly has no idea beyond the party. So Randy wins. Jessica gets to plan the party anyway, because Randy's a nerd and doesn't know how to do that. And Elizabeth gets to be smug. So it's back to business as usual. That was a very good noise at the end there. Back to business as usual. <laughs> it was a bit Michael Jackson-esque, wasn't it? In The Older Boy, Jessica longs to have a date with an older boy. When she meets the dreamy Josh Angler at a local roller rink, sparks fly. The trouble is, he's 16. Ever the schemer, the 12-year-old Jessica nets a date through lies. She tells Josh that she's 14 and a motherfucking half. With the help of her best friend Lila, she successfully pulls the wool over her family's eyes and the date is go. This mediocre first date leads to the promise of a more exciting second, in which Josh guarantees a great surprise. The second date, held at a circus, is, of course, a metric shit ton of gigafuck fails. It starts as a double date that includes her own brother, proceeds with Josh getting back with a previous girlfriend, and concludes with Jessica's entire family discovering the truth and blowing her cover. All played out to the backdrop of Wurlitzer music, sickly floss and bullshit clowns. Jessica, trite, learns her lesson. That lesson? Don't get caught. And be sure to emotionally drain everyone in your life for your own short-term gain. No learning, no hugging, never apologise, never explain. Jessica Wakefield never change, you glorious bitch. Well, we've got our title, Jessica Wakefield Never Change. So what did everyone think of their book then? I think we know that uh, Wing was a particular fan of hers. I love mine. I don't know who I am anymore. I'm a little <laughs> scared right now. To be fair, it did play into the things that you love, which is chosen family and... Yeah, just... Boats. <laughs> chosen family and boats, basically. And not... And not the twins. That's a thing you love as well. Like that's Team peripheral character is a thing. I do think that that's why I liked it so much. Besides the fact that it is actually a really good story that's told fairly well. I like that the Wakefields were just side characters. They're so terrible, uh, but they were terrible as side characters, which was fine. It's great. It's like Lila all the time. I don't have to be inside her head being told how wonderful she is so she can be as terrible as she wants. And I don't care. Yeah, well, I liked it for the same reasons you did, because Jessica and Elizabeth were barely in it. And I really loathe Elizabeth. So anytime she's not in it, it's good. I do want to say that it does open and close with Jessica and Elizabeth, of course, which, you know, in a series named after them, I guess that makes sense. But one thing I wanted to pull attention to is this quote from very early on. The twins are arguing over whether they liked this movie they just saw. Jessica loved it because it was romantic and adventurous and blah, blah, blah. Elizabeth hated it because, and I quote, the plot was completely unbelievable. 
everything worked out so perfectly. It wasn't like real life at all. Elizabeth, that is exactly like your real life. Word for word, basically. Yeah, Elizabeth, didn't you steal a horse and still win a... Well, oh no, she didn't win, but, you know, she did get told she could ride the horse whenever she wanted. She didn't steal the horse, did she? I couldn't see her, like, trotting down Sweet Valley High Street going, no one will see me take this horse. Well, she kept riding it secretly when Lila didn't know, so that's kind of stealing time on the horse, I guess. But yeah, she didn't take off with it. And pretending she was an owner. Mm, Uh, I guess so. Well, even to go back to the last Mary book, nothing ever wraps up so perfectly because no one's, you know, surprise mother visit shows up to wrap things up so perfectly at the end of the book. So, yeah, Elizabeth. One thing that I've got from the book that I read, The Elder Boy, is that I think that the the Jamie Suzannes, the, the, the ghostwriters who are writing this, know very well what they're writing. That was ob- I, I'm sure that that quote was obviously there for the knowing parents reading this book going, this is ridiculous. That was definitely not there for the kids, I don't think. That was that was one for, for, for us to snark at. That was the tip of the hat to the recappers. That's actually a good theory, because in my book, Jessica asks Elizabeth, are there any famous books about twins? And you're like, what, you mean like Sweet Valley, the fucking institution that's been part of everyone's world since 1982? Yeah. Lies. It's been part of my world since 2017. Thank God. You've always been aware of it. That's true. You've known it exists. Like, even Raven knew it existed. Yes, I knew it existed. Yes. I like to think those moments are the ghostwriter's cries for help to get them <laughs> out of this terrible world. Yes. Actual real-life Bleak Valley. Well, I think I think you might be onto something because I obviously I'm much further down the line in my reading, but there's one part in the late 90s of the book series where Jessica wants an increase in her uh, pocket money, and she complains that Alice hasn't rethought inflation since like 1982, and it's like. <laughs> I see what you did there. That's fantastic. Very nice. I do think the ghostwriters are just drinking shots and crying into their manuscripts. When you say that the um, the book also started and ended with the Wakefields, um, was the ending was just was that more exposition for the following book? Yeah, uh, was, it, it was. Just, yeah, so, it was so the story just. itself ended. Yeah, I see. So yes, it kind of wraps up and sets up the next book, uh, which is that Linda Lloyd is missing the party because she's helping her family to move. And of course, that means that Linda Lloyd, who is student body president, is now leaving a space open, which is what Jessica and Elizabeth are going to fight over in the next book. And it's kind of out of the blue that Jessica says she she's always wanted to run for office. Since just a couple books ago, she really did not want to run for office. But you know what? you got to make the story work however you want to make it work, Ghostwriter. So... I'm feeling very magnanimous. I will let it go this time. I know I did quote her in one of the books, though. Um, She did want to be the first woman president, but I will admit that Jessica's idea of being president is sort of like just being really popular and doing whatever the fuck you want. It's not really... She doesn't really understand that a president of any kind has to do a little bit of work. Um, It's subjective, depending on the president in question, but... um, well, I will Fuck say that exact thing is our current president. So, you know what, Jessica Wakefield? Fuck it. You are just as qualified as anyone else at this point. <laughs> I think we can put a link in the show notes to uh, 
the actual article with Trump saying that he thought he found presidenting to be really hard. Yes, do that. <laughs> do that. Add that link. Because, yeah, who knew that presidenting was hard? <laughs> Jessica Wakefield learned that at 12. <laughs> Donald Trump learned that at 2017 as president. <laughs> we try not to get super political on here, but mm. that just wrote itself right there. Had to. Mm. Had to. It's just the alarming parallels. A vapid blonde with no thought process at all, very self-centred, alarmingly so, with a touch of white supremacy about them. The parallels are just, they're right there! So, I feel very bad for these ghostwriters who years ago wrote this terrible premonition of the future, and no one listened to them! <laughs> Obviously, Jamie Suzanne's the modern-day Nostradamus. <laughs> I like it! I like it! I'm in, uh, changing the subject and um, getting back onto more... Um, happier thoughts um i i i really enjoyed the stepfather's character in the in 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 this book i thought he was amazing and his his cheesy songs and his his whole approach to the issues that he was facing i thought was really refreshing and really really nice and even the unicorns thought so yeah i did like the high and lows of this are kind of the same come from the same place for me so the highs really were the story about mary and her family and then finding a way to be a family together uh and how she really loves him and wants to spend time with this mother figure she hasn't had in years and years so all of that was very great and very chosen family and wonderful the lows and it's i mean it's lows in a way that's still good storytelling it's not lows in the way that i hate everything because it's sloppy or terrible or hateful whatever the lows were just the idea that Mary's mother, who has just been reunited with her daughter a month or two ago, after years and years of being separated and Mary thinking she was dead, her mother decides this is the time to marry someone and bring them into the house. Because, yes, all of this change all at once is great for her child. The heart wants what the heart wants, Wayne. <laughs> I guess so. Uh, I, I take your point. I also take the point that you make in your recap where quite possibly the worst thing you can do to somebody who feels excluded is to throw them a surprise party yeah. <laughs> that was at that point that you made i was like oh yeah that, that makes very very good sense and yet somehow it's this common trope it's like oh they're feeling rejected let's do a surprise party because that's never ever backfired ever i've never seen any media that shows a surprise party to be upsetting I mean, I don't like surprise parties in general, so I'm a little harsher on them than maybe the standard reader would be. But yeah, she already feels like everybody's excluding her and talking about her. So what do they do? They exclude her and talk about her to set up this party for her. And especially the unicorns are really unsubtle about it. They will be talking, talking, talking. And the second she walks up, everyone goes silent. Subtle. Very subtle. That's because they're stupid. I mean, her mum should have been a bit more genre savvy and should have at least phoned them and gone, look, we're going to be working on the boat Tuesday, Wednesday and Thursday. Can you take her out Tuesday? Who do you reckon can take her Wednesday? What about Thursday? You know, is there any way that we can arrange that Mary constantly has someone with her of an afternoon so that we can set this up? I mean, it's still a really bad idea, but that would have been a little way to sort of like make Mary feel less of, you know, typhoid mary every time she walks into the room i agree uh, i think it's all coming from a very good place but i do think especially because her mom and her stepdad and her doctor have talked about how she feels very left out of the family unit you'd think that her mother would then take that into consideration as they make these plans but she doesn't and that's saying something because these are probably the best parents we've seen in sweet valley and yet they're still really fucking up just like the 
teenage and preteen characters, which I did find weird. Hmm. Um, I also think that obviously, I mean, what you were describing there is like make sure that Mary is accompanied by somebody at all times. Sounds a bit more like a suicide watch than a than an, uh, a surprise party. Um, and I mean, yes, it's a trope that is that shouldn't be used because it's obviously ridiculous. But if we do basically put a tail on Mary, then her feeling more left out isn't really going to happen, and therefore her impetus to run away, which is eventually what she decides to do is less likely to be driven that that way or at the very least somebody will be with her going hang on what what where's she going with the with the rucksack um so i can sort of see why they didn't do that well my idea was not so much how to make mary f- how to make mary feel better but still ensure she runs away my uh, my idea was how to make mary feel better full stop yes Actually, correct choices rather than correct choices for the characters rather than correct choices for the narrative. Yes. To be fair, the whole running away plot point doesn't really have to happen because all she does is make it to the back steps and then she falls and hurts herself. So really, she could have just fallen and hurt herself at any given point because it's Tim, the stepdad, taking care of her during this that really cements uh, that she is starting to have feelings for him and that sounds very mr nidick but i mean she's starting to have <laughs> familial feelings true but the fact that she is running away and she metaphorically can't run away because she hurts her ankle and then then it's a secret between um tim and mary they don't tell the mother and that i think is is um, a nice display of closeness that wouldn't be there if she was just falling over for example that's a good point, actually. Uh, and also the fact that it does open up for him saying that if anyone's going to leave this, this family unit, it will be him. Because he doesn't want to come between uh, Mary and her mother, Andrea, which I think is a very important point to make. But also really, he's already been a very interesting character at this point. Cause he's kind of funny and a little cheesy and, and entertaining. But this really humanizes him and makes it seem like he really is trying. Even though for a long time it kind of looked like the parents weren't trying, they really are. And even if they're making mistakes it is coming from a really good place agreed yeah they're also good points there wow isn't it hard to talk about stuff that we actually liked Ugh. yeah yeah mm-hmm. it's really terrible uh, i did love the party on the tugboat i am having a hard time picturing a tugboat made over into something adorable and charming but you know i'm gonna roll with it because again i'm a pod person now i had to google it because like i just couldn't picture a tugboat like i i come from nowhere near as a child i couldn't picture like a tugboat being big enough to like fit people on it i was imagining some tiny little dinghy type thing well like with oars yeah my brain just like (laughs) wouldn't scale up the boat it was basically blow up dinghy or cruise ship there was like nothing in between in my brain (laughs) i I do want to point out that dove is the lila of the group there uh no I did want to say that Dove has said that she doesn't understand the size of a tugboat because she didn't grow up anywhere near water. But aren't you guys near the ocean in like two hours in any given direction, basically? True. Yes, but I didn't grow up here. And actually, I think you'll find it's the North Sea, not the ocean. Actually, I mean, anywhere in England is about two hours from an ocean. I grew up about a day from an ocean or more in the middle of a landlocked state in the middle of a continent and i know what a tugboat looks like 
that's very true, Wing. But you also grew, you also grew up probably within an hour of a meatball shop, and you still can't get that sort of ratio correct. So <laughs> you are the worst person in the world. <laughs> I'll take things Wing's never going to leave uh, live down for ten points, please, Raven. <laughs> All right, we'll do a little tiny digression here. We went on a trip to Vegas a few years ago uh, for their wedding. And we went to a delicious Italian restaurant. And perhaps I wanted to try a little bit of everything. And so over-ordered such that for the four of us, a table of food appeared with 500 meatballs and probably 50 pounds of pasta. And apparently I'm never going to live it down. You'll live it down when we run out. (laughs) And can I just add that these meatballs were not regular meatballs. They were the size of a human being's head. She's not wrong. (laughs) The table was straining under the weight of having more than one of them there. So we're going on holiday again this summer, as some of you may have figured out from what we've been talking about uh, off of the podcast. And they keep teasing me that it's good that we're going now because they've run out of meatballs almost and they'll need to restock. <laughs> Bringing a special case just to take them back with me. <laughs> Ugh, I hate them. You're both bags of dicks. You are the Elizabeth and Jessica of this podcast. <laughs> I want to be Jessica. <laughs> okay, so you're the Stephen and Jessica podcast. Podcast. Yeah, I don't have a ton to say about this book because I loved it so much. It's hard to be snarky about something I really did enjoy. Yeah, well, Raven's been having that problem. Like he keeps telling me that uh, he can't start his recap because he actually enjoyed it. So he's got nothing spiteful to. Well, I'm sure he's got plenty spiteful to say. But oh, no, you'd be surprised. It's a, it's a love fest. My my recap thus far. Um, I'm having real trouble. At the time of recording, I'm about halfway through. Um, and obviously, it's going to hit the deadline. It's going to be up on time. But it's uh, it's definitely a different type of recap uh, where I gush quite lyrically over what I thought has been the best book in the series so far. Um, but be- oh, sorry, be- before we go on to that, of course, we have other things to talk about. So it is hard. You're quite correct. I did want to close this. I, mean, I guess we can close up this section of it and move on to Dove's book. I did want to point out that Raven has made me a ridiculous present that is a pink T-shirt that has my quote, Jessica, you are adorable on it. And I kind of need everyone in the world to have this damn T-shirt because it's ridiculous and I love it. And I can't believe I've said that about something based around Jessica Wakefield. So great. Thanks. We'll put a picture of that in the show notes. Also, you should totally get that. And I should actually change my, my name to Jessica, like we talked about years ago. Yes, that's true. That would make me feel much better about this entire situation. Raven's just pulling faces and yep. say, no one cleared this with me. Yeah, I've known her longer. <laughs> that's fair. That's fair. Also, All just, right. oh, Jesus, ahead, I nearly sorry. gave away my real name then. Oh, right. Don't do that. <laughs> we are bad about that this episode. You guys don't even know how much she's having to cut. Possibly also this, but I'm saying it anyway. Tell you what, let's talk about my book. Tug of War. What did you think, Dove? I thought it was meh. It it wasn't the worst one, but it wasn't the best one either. Yeah, it was all very meh. And um, because we'd had the elections for student council treasurer only two books ago, it felt the plot reusal was a bit too close. And so for some reason in my, well, for that very reason, I always treat tug of war as just like something to get through, you know, it's it's not really a good book in its own right, because we've already had that plot in Buried Treasure, even though the plot is actually different. But the reuse is so close 
you know, only two books apart, that overall my feelings were like, eh, it was all right, you know, wasn't bad, wasn't good, was plot reused. You know, I've got nothing new to say. See, I quite enjoyed the book. Um, I don't know if it was coming off enjoying the, the previous book and thought, well, I'm going to go on to the next adventure of Sweet Valley and I'm enjoying this series at the moment and see what it brings. But I thought the reuse of the plot wasn't that glaring because... Yes, in the previous book where she was going for Treasurer, that plot was present. It wasn't in any way the main focus of the book. But at most, it was it was a small subplot, and it was more concentrating on Amy and Elizabeth's deteriorating relationship. So actually having the full book be about the student council um, elections, with Jessica involved also trying to, to get into office, it did feel fresh to me. So yeah, that, that was something that... Didn't, didn't worry me at all. I fall somewhere in between those two things. I wasn't really impressed with having another student election plot so soon after the first one. But I did think it could have been a lot worse. We could have just literally had Sweet Valley time where the first one was ignored and they're just having another election to have something to write about. This storyline, having someone move and vacating a position made a lot of sense to me. And I did really like what we got to see of Randy and what he was doing in this. So that was pretty great. Uh, I did not like this, obviously, as much as I liked my book. But also, uh, it didn't feel quite as much as filler and pointless as the Ithig book from last month. So uh, compared to that, it was more of an enjoyable read. So it was okay. So yeah, I guess I too feel very meh about it. To be fair, you've done the book a great service by bringing up Ithig, because all of a sudden I'm like, you know what? Work a fucking genius. Right? Compared to that, it's all uphill from there. Like, everything is better. Everything is better than that book. That short story that was stretched into a book. That sentence that was stretched into a book. I don't know. Raven knows what's coming. (laughs) Don't, 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 don't. However, the the, the Ithig book it was so thin on the ground they had to take half the words and pad them out with the with the ifig you know that's absolutely awful for me that book doesn't exist anymore i'm not never speak of it again there were some things in tug of war which i thought were quite almost groundbreaking for the series because this was the first time that i felt that jessica and elizabeth were actually arguing properly and had a genuine beef over the election there there were good and bad things done on both sides where most of the time those things are like jessica please don't take my dress i want your dress oh okay have my dress and then that's it so this time there was a bit more consequence behind the actions and i quite i found that quite enjoyable i will say i did like the fact that elizabeth actually did bad things back i mean i know all she did basically was draw a comedy mustache on um, jessica's picture but still after so many sort of like scenes where she, where she's telling Amy and Julie, oh, Jessica would never do anything to sabotage me. Sabotage happens. Well, Jessica didn't do that because she's my twin and my best friend. She'd never do it to hurt me. More sabotage happens. No, Jessica would never do... Oh, fuck it. Draw a big fat comedy moustache. So should have like... been a cock and balls. I know. <laughs> it so would have been if any of us three had been involved. I do think Dove makes a great point there. She has a whole paragraph uh, in the middle of her recap that sets out things that Jessica has done that Elizabeth is ignoring, such as stealing the shoes literally off Elizabeth's feet more than once, which is clearly my big sticky point with this series for some reason. That Next she to the steals socks. the shoes off of Elizabeth's 
feet while she's wearing them. But anyway, so Jessica is terrible throughout the books, and Elizabeth always makes excuses for her and won't tell anyone about it, but she does react in a way that seems very realistic for a 12-year-old in this. All of their pranks seem very realistic, even Lila's, let's give everyone the new Johnny Buck CD and ruin Elizabeth's speech-making thing uh, at the after the soccer game. So yeah, everything felt realistic to their age for once, and that they were both being terrible preteens to each other. So that was nicely balanced. And even though we're told a lot of the times that, oh, yes, they have had their fights, but they're always best friends, it never feels like an actual fight. And this one did, and I liked that. I also enjoyed Randy. I thought that he was, as a nerd, I thought he came across really well. Yes, he was presented like, nerd, look at the nerd, point at the nerd. But he operated with sort of a a calm detachment and whenever they were poking fun he just got on with it and ignored them and i thought he came out of that very well which is obviously credit to the writer not wanting to go down the 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 usual stereotype um of the nerds sort of crumbling and then changing their ways He, he stayed very true to himself throughout the entire thing and he won the whole thing which i will say as soon as he was interviewed uh introduced and as soon as somebody said hey i'm gonna nominate that guy it's like yeah that guy's gonna win Randy does have the coolest intro of anyone else. Like, Jim just points at him and goes, huh, lol, I'm going to nominate him. And Randy, full of class and decorum, goes, thank you. Excuse me, I must leave now. And it's just, it feels like such a diss. It's like, thank you, pleb. I go. He's really amazing. And he has actually smart ideas for what he wants to do as president. Uh, so Jessica just wants to throw the party and then literally thinks that presidents do nothing else but that one thing. Elizabeth doesn't really have a lot of ideas that she can do. One of the ones that is a selling point is that she can change the cafeteria food, except she knows she can't actually do that. But Randy has ideas like put all the school activities on a computer so people can look them up and do charity work as a sixth grade project, which is something Sweet Valley kids really need to learn how to do uh, and then do activities for people who don't like or can't do a physical sport uh, and use some money to throw the party and then charge admittance so they can buy a VCR as David already talked about. He has really good ideas. He's really fucking prepared to be president. And it was kind of mind blowing that someone in this book, a side character in this book was given enough space to show those ideas. We do tend to like the peripheral characters better, but they're still often only seen through Jessica or Elizabeth's eyes that are still kind of flat. Whereas he was kind of treated as a stereotypical nerd by the Wakefields and their friends, but he really got to shine in his own way. And that was excellent writing, which surprised the hell out of me. I also like the fact that Elizabeth only had two ideas. Now, one of them was for the VCR, and I can't remember what the other one was. And there was the cafeteria food, but she scrubs that out because she can't do it. And her friends are like, these are some great ideas. I'm like, that's two fucking ideas. Like, Oh, the second one is the award for the teachers. Oh, yeah. As if everyone else in the school is as gung-ho on their teachers as Elizabeth and Amy and Julie are. Wasn't it also... Wasn't it also to have a collection so they could buy an award for their teachers? Yes. Yeah, yeah, so the students had to pay for it. I'm, like, trying to imagine that going down with with my circle of friends at school, and all I can see is eight 14-year-old girls going, ah, fuck that shit. That is definitely a nod from the 
from the writer there going, yeah, we know that Elizabeth's an absolute saint. Look at the, that's, that. That can't have been something they just thought was a good idea. That's, yeah, nice work. I also really like about Randy that after he wins, as he was clearly going to do, he is super smart about how he incorporates people into his uh, his work as president. He puts Jessica in charge of organizing the party. He gives Elizabeth to work to help uh, him develop his stuff as president. Like he seems to be the only person in Sweet Valley who has recognized how the twins work and knows how to get them to do what he wants them to do in a way that means that they're not going to sabotage him. And it was amazing. I really hope there's like Sweet Valley High 172 kidnapped by Randy's cult. <laughs> Like, where he's just, like, taken over and everyone in Sweet Valley is just enslaved to him because he's realised how he can get all of these morons to do his bidding. Yeah, the thing with Randy is that um, I think when Elizabeth pulls out of the race and sort of basically hands the victory in her head to Randy, I I felt that was one of the things that was, was sort of weakened his character a little. I would have so much more enjoyed it if they all ran and... Randy won on the strength of his ideas. However, I concede that the rest of the sixth grade haven't really been portrayed as the the most forward-thinking and politically-minded bunch that you could possibly hope for in this situation. So having Elizabeth quit and basically state, well, the only reason I'm quitting is so Randy can win because he'll never he'll never win if I'm on the on the ticket. That's actually unfortunately probably true. Well, it's very self-centered of her, but it is also kind of an interesting political strategy where you don't want to split the vote if you want uh, the lesser two evils, or in this case, an actually decent guy to win. So while, yes, I do think she it's written as her martyring herself, as she always does, it is a political strategy that I think should maybe be employed more often in real life. And that's, I will not digress again into politics. I did really get annoyed with Elizabeth constantly thinking about how he has no chance to win and he's never going to be a good president. And oh, if only he knew. And slowly she gets drawn around because he does have really excellent ideas. I also didn't like the end chapter, which was just basically Elizabeth going, I'm so awesome. I handed Randy the victory and then random girl next to her went oh you're so cool you handed randy the victory and then she goes and talks to amy and amy's like what did you do and and elizabeth's like i handed randy the the victory because i'm a fucking saint and then she gets home and her parents are like elizabeth you're a fucking saint you handed randy the victory it's like i got it when it happened i didn't need three and a half pages of people reminding me that elizabeth is a fucking saint for handing randy the victory now i just want to rip her skin off and wear it as a hat and this is why you created the tears of a saint tag because it's so true yeah but overall i liked it really can't wait till we get to sweet valley high i've just been rereading them over the past week and you two are just raven's gonna kill me and wing's gonna just like take out the planet it's gonna be funny well there you go i'm gonna bring an apocalypse when we get to sweet valley high which is somewhere approximately around 2023 or 25 somewhere in there so you have a few more years if we make it that far if the planet makes it i, that I far. mean with the current pr- that's what I meant. I didn't mean we were going to implode. I was more implying your president might blow the shit out of the rest of the world. This is, again, not incorrect. Well, if we can make it as far as Vegas, if the shit does go down, we can form our own planet of meatballs. Just get the meatballs and make them into one sphere and we can live on that. You are such bags of dicks.
Actually, I did notice like last time we were eating them, they were big enough to have their own gravity, like pasta that got too close would just like float on top of it. It was amazing. Meatball planets with garlic dough ball moons circling them. And I have chosen not only to recap things with them and do podcasts with them, but to travel with them again. What the hell am I thinking? Might be a nice time to add that Wing and Mr. Wing actually made our wedding absolutely perfect and we're just being dicks about it like happiest week of our life and they were part of it and all we can talk about is how big the meatballs were i I agree on all counts i deserve tears of a seat right now (laughs) yeah yeah both wing and mr wing were absolutely awesome but they were big fucking meatballs (laughs) to be fair they were giant meatballs. You know, I'm not going to... I did way over order the food, and the food itself was gigantic uh, in ways I didn't anticipate. And I will never do it again. So, you know... Yeah, it's the one time your syntax has been off, because you looked at it and you went, oh, let's get a sharing platter. And it was, like, clearly meant for more than two people. But you meant, let's get one of them to share. But instead, you got sharing platters of, like, everything... <laughs> Look, I wanted to try a little of everything. I didn't realize everything was going to be enough food to feed an army. And I mean that literally. We could have fed a unit of an army easily with that. But it was really good food. All right. So it was delicious. Yay, Vegas. So, Raven, when you're not being a bag of dicks, what did you think about your book? I absolutely loved it. I was really, really surprised, but I thought it was refreshing i thought it was very well written i thought it was excellently paced Uh, i thought there were a number of things in the book that just to me just made a a huge difference on the narrative and on how i saw the characters um and i expected because of the whole 16 year old having a relationship with a 12 year old i expected to be majorly squicked out by the whole thing but that didn't that didn't happen. I was gripped from the beginning. I have nothing bad to say about this book, and it, it's what can I say? Um, it's it's not it's not going to be a very entertaining for the humour <laughs> um, recap of this. I don't think because all the way through I'm like, yeah, I love that bit. I love this bit. I love the other bits. Yeah, nothing wrong with it at all. I take it you don't agree. From what you said earlier, you said you uh, you didn't like it as much as I did. Well, I didn't like it as much as you did, because I think you really loved it. I also didn't mm-hmm. like it as much as I did my book, so it set a really <laughs> high bar for this month, uh, uh, somehow, un- unknowingly, pod person how. <laughs> I didn't hate this book, though. I do think that, for once, Jessica faces repercussions for her actions that seem more believable and actually happening. I mean, I'm sure by the next book she'll get out of her grounding, because she's Jessica Wakefield. Of but course. she does get grounded, uh, she does have to explain herself. She does embarrass herself in front of this older boy. Uh, she does get not, she's not the one that he picks when it comes down to her and his ex-girlfriend, even before he finds out she's 12, which is super sketchy. Uh, and also, I thought it was hilarious that the cover of this book pretty much matches the cover of Dawn and the Older Boy from the Babysitter's Club to a T. You have a you know a young blonde girl gazing ador- adoredly at a taller man. But at least in the Older Boy, 
Jessica's looking up at someone who could still be in his teens, maybe. On Donna, the older boy, she's staring at someone who looks like he's 35. Very (laughs) creepy. Yeah, but look at his arms. I mean, I I think we've had this conversation before we even started recapping, like when we were just looking at covers and stuff. But he's he's like got a 12 year old face on a 27 year old's body. Like he's got manly arms. He's a Peter Andre. It's fantastic. Well, I'm to to go back to one of the things, the points you just raised there, Wing. I think that the parenting in this book was actually the most believable parenting from the whole series for me, which is one of the things I was like, wow, this is a change. This is, makes it different from the other fourteen I've read. Um, yes, at the end of it, there are repercussions. The, she gets grounded, and there are a few very earnest speeches um about how you should never do this kind of thing because of the fam because of what could happen and and they they sound believable and realistic i think they're coming from the fact that it is quite the subject is something that could um lead down a particularly dark path shall we say without wanting to go any further if if um that thing wasn't stamped on pretty heavily so that's a good thing um, but even so, even even throughout the book, there were other very believable parts of parenting when they were talking about the makeup. Um, and so you, you're a bit young to be wearing makeup, and 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 it, it felt like the the uh, elder Wakefields were actually taking an active interest in their daughter's life, which is something that doesn't really come through in the other books, um, other than Daddy Wakefield bestowing Ithig upon them for some bizarre reason. Um, there was also the part I in, I thought was good when. Um, when in, in 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 preparation for the second date, um, Jessica persuaded Lila to phone um, Mother Wakefield at Alice and pretend to be um, the mother of the person whose cabin she was apparently going to be staying in that weekend. Kerry Glenn. Kerry, that's a Kerry's cabin. And that was a very funny scene with Lila sort of laying it on thick. But the fact that Alice was actually involved enough to make these checks made the whole thing come across as quite believable to me. So I, I really enjoyed that. Yeah, I think Alice might have put down the gin for that book. <laughs> I agree. It was really surprisingly good parenting on both their parts. And one thing I did like was that, so kind of the subplot of this or the setting of this is the circus that's coming to town. And they go every year. It's a Wakefield family tradition. But Ned has let them down. He's been so busy at work that he forgot to get tickets for them. And now it's all sold out. And I thought that this was a great moment of showing a mistake because back in Stretching the Truth, as they're talking about the movie and why they didn't didn't like it at the beginning and they're talking with their parents, Ned agrees with Elizabeth because he wants something more realistic. He wants stories he can identify with and he's made too many mistakes to be perfect. And Dove is like, well... We don't ever see him make a mistake on screen. Raymond pointed out that, well, he does in the Ithic book because he gives him Ithic and then admits that he didn't know that it would cause him so much grief. But here he is again making an actual mistake that that does hurt his family. Like they're really upset that they won't get to go to the circus as this family tradition they have, which is important. As much as I hate the Wakefields, I do think family traditions are important. So I like that this had an actual emotional fallout for it. And yes, he does manage to get tickets later, but even that makes him look like a dad who knows he messed up and he's trying to fix things. And they're, the Wakefield parents are really disappointed because they can't go as a family anymore. Stephen is already going with friends. Jessica is allegedly out of town at this cabin. So it was this way to show that he made a mistake and he has to face the repercussions of it, which is to not have a trip to the circus with his family that he loves. 
Yeah, I mean, I agree that it all counts. And uh, expanding that, if you if you go and speak about Stephen, Stephen, uh, the brother, of course, we uh, we've sp- spoken a lot, a lot about Stephen and his unnatural attractions to um, the uh, the twins, especially Jessica. Yeah, it's not the twins. I don't think he gives a stuff about Elizabeth. I think it's I think it's Jessica, Jessica, Jessica. That that is true. Um, but in this book, I didn't for some reason I didn't find him as creepy as I have in the past. In this one, he was still laying on with the sort of um, the the brotherly jibes at Jessica's expense, um, but they seemed more realistic and just immature rather than anything that could be misinterpreted as like uh, you know overly creepy. And then when the double date happens, where it turns out that Jessica's going on a date and doubling with a couple that includes her brother Stephen, that whole thing was very believable as well. Stephen did step up to the plate and did protect her even in even trying to help her avoid her parents wrath and then when they were all discovered doing the whole look don't worry she's safe she's with me everything will be fine but as well as that he was still offering the old little jab every now and then like when josh discovers that she's 12 and goes well hang on a sec but if your sister's with that and you're not the same age as you're the same age as steven are you triplets how does that happen and then steven's like yes that is weird. How does that happen, Jessica? And it's still very believable and very, you know, it, it was it was nice to see that, that realistic family bond actually being shown in the dialogue, which was good. I agree. As an older sibling myself, that kind of combination of protecting them and picking on them at the same time felt really true to me. And yeah, I mean, she's made a terrible choice here. And he could not only sell her out and embarrass her in front of his friends and and these older kids that she's trying to impress, but he can get her in a lot of trouble. But instead, he's trying to protect her. But of course, he's still going to pick on her because siblings, that's what you do, especially when you're teenagers. So yeah, I really like that part. The more we talk about this, the more I realize I think I did like this book more than I... uh, uh, kind of let on during the recapping and commentary. And also, this has Jessica's first first kiss. Uh, this is the first time in the Sweet Valley Twins canon that she gets kissed by a boy. It's not her only first kiss, but it is her first first <laughs> kiss. So, well, Sweet Valley time. Yeah, I think actually looking at our how the books are allocated, I think Raven pretty much gets all of the first kisses. I could be wrong. I like the hardcore. I mean, if we if we look at that date in which the first kiss happened at the end um, of, which is the first date, which is before the double date, which is the, obviously the denouement of the book, even that date I really enjoyed. And the reason I enjoyed that is because going into that date, the 12-year-old Jessica had a very clear picture of what her perfect date was going to be. And it was going to be her in a Porsche sports car with a blue dress on, with the healthy and tanned Josh by her side, driving along mountain roads with the wind blowing in their hair. And then they went on a date, and the date was a double date again, but it wasn't with Stephen this time, it was with another couple. And they went to the Dairy Burger, because nowhere else exists in Sweet Valley. And then they went to a movie, and they had to choose a a PG movie, or a a non-R-rated movie, to go and see. And the date itself was very low rent, and one of the the participants were like, yeah, we're skinned, we haven't got any money for the... For our allowances, can we go somewhere cheap? And it seemed very believable as a 16-year-old sort of date. And that it was such at odds with what Jessica expected. It was it was a nice contrast. And then at the end of it, when the, she thought the date was an, uh, a travesty and it, it had all failed because she, she was too busy trying to protect her secrets and she couldn't have meaningful discourse with anybody, including Josh... She has this first kiss, which is a, a very, a very gentle and very nice peck. And then 
from there, she goes and speaks to Lila, who we'll speak about in a sec, and tells her all about the date. But in a perfect Jessica way, she edits the story of the date to be more like what she wanted it to be. And it was like it was like she was in her own mind changing what actually happened and at the end of it she believed it herself that it was a very romantic date and the whole thing was 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 great and and the way that jessica's mind works in that well i have a dream date we have the actual date this is the way i cope with with the reality of what happened and the way i can describe it i i just found that really really well done a thing I liked with that date in particular is that when she gets back, even though she is spinning the story for Lila and herself, she also thinks, and it comes up later too, she thinks about how hard it is to pretend to be older. All these lies are weighing on her, even just after the first date. And I thought that was really great because it's true. And Lila points out shortly after that she spins really complicated lies that are just going to get her in trouble instead of keeping it simple. And it is a heavy weight on Jessica trying to remember whom she's told what and trying to pretend to be someone she's not and it it feels really realistic in a way that when you're younger like that you do sometimes try to act older but you don't really know what acting older means because there is no one way to act older so all it is is a lot of pressure that she's not really enjoying even if she was having super romantic dates like she pictured it's a lot more work than she thought it would be and i like seeing that like she is really struggling through this even though she keeps telling herself how much she wants it yeah, it's one of those weird things where you sort of read it and for the first time ever, you slightly sympathise with Jessica, even though she sort of got herself into this and should have just sort of said, look, I'm I, I'm 12 and that'll get you 20, to quote American Heart and Streetwise. Um, but, you know, she got herself into this, but she gets to a point where she can't go back. And this is a very Jessica thing. Like she has a tendency to uh, dig herself these holes, especially later on. But this is one of those where you, you kind of feel sorry for her because this is the furthest her, her impulsive decisions has taken her so far in the first 15 books that we've read. This is like the biggest hole she's dug herself so far. And I do actually feel a little bit sorry for her when she's like sitting there going how tired she is of trying to keep everything like straight in her head. See, I don't feel sorry for her at all. I, I actually feel quite a, a, a bit of admiration for her. Uh, in a different way, because the thing about this book is, yes, she makes these terrible, terrible decisions, and we all know that they're terrible decisions, but she goes with them every st- step of the way to the hilt, and it's written in such a way is that we as readers are like, well, it's obvious that she's doing this, because that's how things work, and her her decisions are always played from her own point of view as being 100% correct and the way to do things. And she shows no scruples. And even when she's like, well, oh, this is harder than I thought. She never goes and goes, well, maybe maybe I shouldn't have done that. She's always like, I've done that. And that's how it is. Bang, straight on. And that sort of force of will and perspective on, on having to drive herself to do the things that she wants to do. And it's, it's really nice. It's really fun. It's really sort of <clears throat> engaging and exciting. Um, one of the best parts of this book, I'm, I'm gushing about it, I, I, I don't know why, but I am gushing about it. But one of the best parts of this book for me was when Elizabeth, after speaking to um, Amy and discovering all about Josh and the reality that, that she'd been in the Dairy Burger with, um, with Jessica and Jessica and Josh had been in the Dairy Burger and Caroline had seen them, etc., etc. And Elizabeth basically had Jessica bang to rights then and knew exactly what was going on. 
and she went and confronted Jessica to say, you're not going to this cabin. You're obviously going to be meeting this Josh guy. And Jessica was like, well, no, 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 I'm not. I'm not. OK, yes, you know this part of the story. Um, the story is what ha- actually happened is I, I only met him last week and we we only talk on the phone and he's going to phone the cabin. <clears throat> She's like, well, that's rubbish because of X, Y and Z. We know this is you, you were seen with him. And then Jessica goes, well, OK, yes, you're right. I'm not been telling you the truth. I will now tell you the truth. And then she just tells another pack of lies. And it's like, that's fantastic. She does exactly the same later on when she's caught as well. When she's caught, she she's like, oh, it's a terrible. Yeah, I'm really sorry. I'll tell you all about this when I get home. But you'll, I've made so many bad decisions. I'll tell you the whole story. And then she tells him a massively edited story with more lies in at the end of it to make herself look great. And the, the used phrase, the, the author uses phrases like, and this is Jessica's tactic, the way to pile on the, oh, yes, I'll never do this again. So she looks so bad. And, and Yes, she has been grounded, but even when she's in school the next day, she's still centre of attention, and everyone loves her and wants to know the story of this whirlwind romance that she's had. Um, but when she's speaking to Elizabeth, there's a part where she puts on the wide eyes and goes, "I never. do you really think I'd be that, that bad? And Elizabeth's mortified and, and apologises and is like, I'm sorry, I, I feel for you. And Jessica's response is, I'm a really great actress. This is great. And I was reading it going, this is how Jessica should be written all the time with no remorse, no scruples. And yeah, it's and yes, the story is told and the consequences become real for what she's experienced. But the Jessica that goes through that story in this book is 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 marvellous. She's engaging. She's exactly what you want her to be. And that's why I really liked it. Those are really good points. I do think the ghostwriter took this characterization that's been kind of shaky throughout the other books. Yes, she always does terrible things, but some books she does them remorsefully or some books she just, you know, shrugs them off. Really, the ghostwriter here grabbed that Jessica characterization and wrote it all the way through the book. Like, it was very solid and very strong and out there. That was pretty entertaining. You make a really good point there. Yeah, I suppose it calls back to uh, book five where she's like, you know what, I'm just going to take Elizabeth's brand new dress because she loves me and she'd want me to be pretty at the concert and while I'm at it I'll take her shoes and her jacket and mum's birthday present because they love me they want me to be happy so they would give me these things so it's the same sort of is book five the um the one with the dog yeah yeah yes I I agree entirely it's the same ruthless Jessica yeah because I enjoyed that about that book as well especially the part where she was justifying to herself about abandoning the dog which is obviously obviously not what you do it is horrible and you don't do that at all. But her justification for it was very characterful. Um, and there were issues with the book because she didn't she didn't get the come up and she deserved, in my opinion, f- for that. She didn't um, she wasn't punished as well as, uh, as she should have been, especially by Elizabeth, who was still trying to cover up for herself, as we've discussed in the, pre- in the previous podcast, of course. Um, but in this one, it does seem that she does get the the punishments. She is grounded. However, she still manages to turn those to her advantage, but in a in a in a very Jessica way, being the centre of attention of the unicorns. Uh, the final thing I'd like to mention in this book, which I really enjoyed, was her relationship with Lila. Uh, this was the very first book that I thought that Lila and Jessica were actually friends. I thought they they had banter, they had 
they, 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 they were looking out for each other in their slightly twisted view of the society way, but they were there for each other and they were both interested in what was going on uh, in each other's lives. And I, I found that really refreshing. I found it refreshing that the start of the book, start at uh, the beginning of the book, uh, was Lila and Jessica talking, and that was the first relationship that was described. Not the relationship she has with Elizabeth, which is a contractually obli- obligated description later on, but the key re- relationship for this book was the Lila and Jessica one, which was handled really, really well. I agree with that, too. Uh, I really enjoyed Lila, but I can kind of see from this book why she is apparently a fan favorite, or at least uh, that's what Dove has told me. Obviously, I'm still very, very early in the overall Sweet Valley stuff, so I don't know for sure. But she was vulnerable. She said really smart things, but went along with Jessica's plans anyway, because obviously Jessica wasn't going to stop, so she was going to help in a way that a friend would, even while, even while telling her her plans were terrible. Uh, she was super over dramatic on the phone call to Jessica's mother, which was hilarious and yeah. really realistic for a 12 year old. Yeah. It was just fantastic to see an actual friendship look like a friendship. So we see a lot more of Elizabeth's friendships w- with these, uh, with her friends, but also with these peripheral characters that are pretty much one off in each book. And it always feels like Elizabeth looking at them and, oh, I'm so much better than them. I must save them. Whereas with Jessica and Lila, it was far more balanced friendship and they both bring things to the table good and bad mostly bad. yeah i agree with that actually like as you were saying that i was just thinking like let's quote cm punk elizabeth's friends are glad handing yes men they're just there to go rah rah elizabeth you can do it yay bizarrely though that's what the the, the unicorns seem to be for lila most of the time but in this book jessica and lila were were, were, were much more than that I agree, and it was interesting that you don't see a ton of them with the other unicorns. It's mostly just Jessica and Lila, and I think giving them that space and giving the twins space away from each other lets them be more realistic, well-rounded characters, which is, I mean, it's good. It was entertaining, but it's also a little weird to me that if you're going to base your entire series around the concept of these two twins, maybe you should be doing that more often. Agreed. So overall, thumbs up for all three books then this month. Yeah. Okay. Which ones did we like best? I I mean, I'm fairly certain I can guess Wing's answer with Stretching the Truth. And I'm assuming Raven, the older boy. So I get to make the tiebreaker. And I honestly don't know. It's certainly not Tug of War. That was the the low point for me. But I think probably the older boy just pipped it for me. Um, But it was very close yeah for me all three i think were great but i i'll have to say the older boy by a country mile just took that i was captivated from the word go and the worst book i do have to say was probably tug of war even though it was it would have won a number of weeks had it been against some of the other books we've read i'd I'd say yeah because last month was a bad run of books mostly i've read shopping lists that were better than that bloody ifig book yeah, but they were all written by me. I'm a very talented shopping list writer. Probably true. I agree both that Tug of War was at the bottom and that it would have won many of the weeks we've done so far, which since we haven't done that many weeks, says a lot. <laughs> but obviously Stretching the Truth was my favorite by by a country mile, as uh, Raven would say. The more we've talked about the older boy, though, the more I find myself liking it. So it's a pretty 
pretty close second place at this point. And I didn't hate Tug of War. I just was bored by it. Not as bored as I was, obviously, with the Ithic book, but it just didn't really stand out to me in any way. I had to go back to the recap to even remember what happened in it, uh, whereas with the other two, they were still very clear in my mind. Oh, well, next month's going to be fun. Oh, goody. So I do say that we could talk about Bleak Valley, but my guess is that we're going to have a really hard time. I think it's going to be tricky this month. Yeah, because I was I was looking at the the list of books um, and trying to think of of Bleak Valley connotations, and I was like, well, I'm kind of hoping that the other two will have something, and I can jump in with that. Um, well, there's so much negativity in the world. Why don't we just not do Bleak Valley this month, and we just say no, everything's lovely. Elizabeth, this month in her tawdry little grief cave, doesn't maybe this month. Elizabeth actually got to see a party like she was just walking down by the water one day and she saw a bunch of people having a party and she pretended she was there. And then she heard some of them talking about running for school president and she was like, yep, I'll file that away. And then she saw a cute boy and imagined a romance with him. And that's it. I do think that, yeah, Mm. probably stretching the truth would be the one that is closest to what I could see being Bleak Valley and that she builds herself a family. But I'm actually also fine with this idea that we enjoyed them too much to really see Mm. anything Bleak Valley about them. It was all very, even at its worst, it was all very gentle and kind of sweet and and mostly Mm. fun. Yeah, I just don't think there was a lot of Bleak Valley to it this time. Maybe Bleak Valley Elizabeth had a fairly good month. I mean, I'm not saying that anything about her life Mm. is good because it is fucking tragic. But maybe it was just one of those business as usual months. And these are just like little stories that she told herself like, like filler episodes like she didn't have any prompts so she was like you know what would be nice a party and Mm. some student elections with some wacky hijinks and maybe a cute boy Mm. i do like that they don't really feel they don't feel like filler books but i can absolutely see them being filler daydreams in bleak valley Mm. so what works really well as a book doesn't work very well in Bleak Valley, Mm. and vice versa. The books that are terrible work amazingly in Bleak Valley, which, Mm. I mean, that's kind of an obvious point to make, but uh, it was really driven home this month. So it's it's, it's dry February in the the Wakefield household, and the the drunk parents are just being quiet and uh, morose in front of the TV. Yeah, maybe she even got to see a bit of TV this month, and, you know, she saw a party on TV, or, I don't know, she just saw various things and just added them into her little daydreams. It was a fairly innocuous month for her. I still want to rescue her, though. Well, obviously. Although, you know, you have theorised that if we rescue her, then she'll probably kill herself so i just don't think she could survive in the real world after all this time in bleak valley so that's depressing but true i've got to say next month is going to be fucking brilliant for bleak valley isn't Uh, it raven oh it is it is when uh, sorry dove is alluding to the fact that um i think it's the class trip (laughs) which is by far the worst thing i've read since the ethic book Next month, we do Second Best, Boys Against Girls, and our very first Super Edition, Raven gets to do the class trip, which, based on the cover, kind of looks like Children of the Corn on a bus. So that's (laughs) exciting. I'm looking forward to that, and by which I mean not at all, but yeah, good times. 
By the way, have you seen the cover for Boys Against Girls? Like, if you look at it, that is just a floating T-shirt. The boy. He has no legs. She's not wrong. You will see it when we put the recap up <laughs> next month. But he does look like a floating T-shirt. Yeah, it's like one of those things where they, they construct half a human and just put them on a pole, you know. He's a scarecrow, basically. Yeah, what say. <laughs> yeah. Well, I was thinking more like a horror prop so we could, like chop his head off or something but um if he's a scarecrow he should be on the cover of class trip with the children of the cord <laughs> yeah oh it's gonna be a fun month next month i think bleak valley will come back with a vengeance um we can only hope have you read any ahead yet or do you just do week by week no i do week by week mostly uh i do tend to read raven's recaps earlier than I would normally because we tend to record uh, before his recap is written. Mm, yeah, yeah. So I'm usually just ahead by that. But yeah, I'll be starting Second Best, which is my book next month fairly soon. Uh, and since we have alluded to this, we are all traveling next month, but everything should still go up uh, the same time as usual. We're all going to schedule our recaps early and we should get this recorded before we leave. So you shouldn't see any difference in what's happening, just maybe us talking about traveling some of it uh, on social media. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, everything should go up as usual, looking at the dates, so. Unless the apocalypse happens, in which case, what are you doing looking up Sweet Valley recaps? You know, find yourself some water and a gun, for fuck's sake, be sensible about this. Hey, Everyone even... needs a little soulless in the, in the weary world. Thank you, even an apocalypse is a good time sometimes. <laughs> Alright, that's a good place to end it. Thank you guys so much for listening. Thanks yes. everyone. Cheers. Bye. Thank you for listening to this month's episode of Sweet Valley Online. You can find all our recaps and previous podcast episodes on our website at sweetvalley.online. Come talk to us on Facebook at facebook.com slash sweetvalleyonline and on Tumblr at sweetvalleyonline.tumblr.com. Thanks again to Stuart Taylor of Legacy Breakfast for our music. We'd love it if you subscribe, rate, and review us at your favorite podcast provider. Thanks again for listening.